0: Welcome to the plant school podcast. I'm Rachel and here we learn about plants, how to care for them, how they work, and I keep it simple and taught in a way that anyone from beginner to expert can enjoy. Join me in plant school. Hello and welcome to plant school. Today is episode 71 and I'm really excited. I had the opportunity to interview someone who owns a rare plant shop. This has been something that I have wanted to do for the longest time, is just kind of get into the mind of someone who owns a plant shop. First of all, what it's like owning a shop, and also what kind of problems do they see when people come in needing help with their plants, how to fix them. They're obviously growing plants for their shop and are really good with them, right? And so I I had the chance to interview Marissa Merriman. She owns a cute little store called Hello Foliage in Salt Lake City, Utah, and we were able to talk about so much good stuff. So without further ado, here is my interview with Marissa. Today here on the Plant School podcast, we have Marissa Merriman with us. I love to do this Marissa where anytime someone comes on the plant school podcast, I love to ask them to introduce themselves and ask them what is your favorite plant and how did you first get into house plants?
1: My favorite plant that one's tough. that one's tough. It changes all the time. Right now I would have to say probably my fern leaf cactus is my favorite. It's growing really cool. and what else did you ask?
0: How did you get into house plants?
1: Oh, it was like six or seven years ago. I was at the um, grocery store and I saw a blue or like a dyed blue orchid. I thought it was really cool. So I got it and I kept it alive. So I started getting all the little cheap rehabby ones from the grocery store and just seeing if I could keep them alive.
0: That's impressive. I feel like most people when they get into houseplants avoid those rehab plants. It's awesome You just dove right in trying to save them.
1: Yeah, it was fun.
0: So you own your own plant shop and I want to ask you what inspired you to open it? Like what, what was that process like?
1: Um, I think what really made me want to start this plant shop is the lack of availability of rare houseplants here. Um, that's what I focus on. It just wasn't a thing. And all these like, you know, more expensive, rare plants you'd have to get online which can be a whole ordeal in itself. So, um, and then you don't know what they look like in real life. I mean, some of these plants look totally different in real life. So it was mainly that, that one, you know, made me want to start this.
0: Yeah. How So how do you go about getting those rare plants? Are you ordering them online? Do you grow some yourself? How does that go about?
1: It's so funny. Um. So all of my stock plants are my original plants I got for myself. So I just was collecting... I worked at another nursery that sold like common house plants and people would always ask for these like more fun things. And of course we didn't have them there, but I would be like, well, I have a cutting. I could, um, you know, sell you, trade you, whatever. And then I, I did a rare, I did a plant swap and a lot of people brought rare plants there and it was kind of just like, Whoa, there's this whole new world of plants. That I have never heard of. So that was actually before, you know, people asked me for the cuttings, but, um, mm-hmm saw some fun ones there, you know, got stuff and it just kind of took off from there with the rarer things.
0: That's awesome.
1: So yeah. how do you care for
0: your rare plants? Because for me thinking about like a store full of rare plants, I would like poop my pants. Like I'm going to lose money if this dies. How do you care for them and keep them alive all at once?
1: Um, <laughs> That's been a, that's been a journey. It's been a lot of trial and error and <laughs> you know, they're they're not all the same, obviously. So, trying to get a system down that can kind of keep the, keep it. So, I'm not killing myself trying to keep them alive, but also not, you know, neglecting their needs. It's tough. I mean, I've killed. I can't tell you how many plants. I mean, I've <laughs> killed so many rare plants. I mean, I've killed tons of plants in general. But um, it is heart wrenching when you lose a plant that is worth a lot of money. But it happens. They are plants, and uh, they do die sometimes. <laughs> but um, I have it it down pretty good now. Um, I have this system where I make, I I bottom water everything. I have the layer of LECA in the nursery pot between the substrate and bottom watering tray. That kind of leaves me, gives me like a good amount of room for error because the roots aren't sitting in the water. And if I happen to leave the tray for a couple of days with water in it, it's okay. So yeah, it's really, really, really helpful. And bottom watering in general, I mean, I bottom water everything I have here. And I have thousands of plants, including ones I did not grow myself. You know, I buy from a greenhouse. It's just so much better. It's great.
0: (laughs) So is the main draw to you, bottom watering, just the the decreased risk of having um, root rot and things like that?
1: I would say it's more of getting the full pot watered. Cause you know, when you water from the top, a lot of times it won't fill the whole pot you know it only goes through one half or something like that so if you know you have a half a plant die and you're watering from the top almost always it's because that, that half didn't really get water mm-hmm. um so that helps me ensure that everything's getting watered properly it does help with you know root rot and dry rot and fungus gnats and things like mm-hmm. that but for me personally it's more about the ensuring every inch of the soil is getting water
0: gotcha and yeah. do you bother with things like fertilizing them? Do you like have a humidifier or any like extra oh, care yeah. that you're giving them?
1: Definitely. So I definitely fertilize. I'm, I'm a heavy feeder. I fertilize every watering all through the year. I use only organic fertilizer so that I'm, I'm not burning anything. And as far as the humidity goes, I actually have like this huge greenhouse that I kind of built myself upstairs. I would like a two-story, it's kind of like a warehouse turned office building. And so I do have that. And it, I like built a whole humidifier out of a 15-gallon tub. And it stays about, well, it kind of fluctuates, but it goes from like 75 to 50. That's for like my mother plants. So, so I can get them to grow fast. They don't necessarily need it. Some of them do, but I would say about 80% of the plants I grow here do not actually need them. Humidity to grow. But yeah, that just gets them going faster and they're a little healthier. They are just thriving in there. So,
0: gotcha. So, is your process like you have the mother plants upstairs in your makeshift greenhouse? And are you taking cuttings and like letting them root and then you bring them down into your shop or how does that work?
1: Yeah. So, I, you know, grow my mother plants out for as long as I can. Mm -hmm. And then I take the cuttings, I root them. I actually don't root them in the greenhouse, I root them in bins clear plastic bins, just to speed up the process and ensure that most of them do root. And then I take them out of the bins, maybe a month or two later, it depends on the plant, but I'm back in the greenhouse to acclimate down to that 70% because the bins are at least 100%. Yeah, they're very, very humid. And then they, they go to the greenhouse to acclimate to that. And then maybe, it depends on the plant, but anywhere from a week to a month, once they're acclimated, then they come down to the storefront and I put them for sale, and they're acclimating down to about 50% down here. Yeah, when they're ready to go home to their new homes, they don't necessarily need that high humidity, so that it kind of just helps ensure that they're going to be healthy for any environment people choose to grow them in.
0: Gotcha, that makes sense, and that's wise to acclimate them. It's not going from like 100 to someone's house and who knows how humid it is in a utah right. it can be pretty dry out here it can be pretty dry <laughs> yeah so when people come into your shop what is like the most common struggle or yeah let's start with that what's the most common struggle or maybe the most common question you get from people when they're needing help with their plants
1: it's it's either pest issues or basically, root rot issues. Either you know from dry rot or regular root rot. Those are the two main issues. It's so hard because the pest thing is, you know, it's a part of plants, and you just have to educate yourself and you know, trial and error, learn about them. You get them, especially when you're dealing with rare plants. It's heart wrenching when they get a pest. You know, it's really tough. And you've got. Hundred dollar lease that might die because it has spider mites. Like it's really tough for people. So, what do you
0: tell people if they're struggling with a pest? Do you like walk them through how to get
1: rid of them? I definitely do. Um, the main thing, the first thing, is to identify the pest because you know not every treatment will work for every pest. So, um, identifying the pest is a big deal which sometimes it's really hard to do because um, like, especially with thrips, you can't see them. You just see their damage and their damage can show up uh, quite different on different plants. So typically if you can't see, if you can't identify it, it's probably a thrip. (laughs) But um, (laughs) So we, you know, identify what it is. And then we, uh, I will go through my personal treatment process, which is kind of hard now with the shop because I use products that you can't really use in a home. So, and then, you know, products are consistently changing because pests do build up tolerances There's a whole different (laughs) story. Yeah. So I, I do my best to help them with that. And then, you know, how to prevent that from happening again. It's a big thing.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's the most common question I get. I don't have a shop. Like I just have this podcast and like an Instagram page and people are constantly asking. And sometimes I'm like, I don't see anything like, I need to see this in person or you need a magnifying glass or something. Yes. Yeah, it can it can be hard to figure out what it is and how to help this person with what they've already tried and everything.
1: For sure. it's I definitely get a lot of people that try to send me videos or photos. Mm-hmm. And I really, I'm like, I really can't tell. Like, I'm going to send you what these things are. And then you can maybe make that decision or just start treating for these three things, you know. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> and then there's also beneficial bugs. Mm-hmm. And um, springtails are another big one that get confused with grips all the time. So identifying the difference between a good bug, something just crawling around, or something that's actually eating your leaves is uh, also difficult.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That's a great point. So if someone comes in and has a problem with dry rot or root rot, what is your advice for them?
1: I typically, when that happens, they typically have repotted it to a ceramic pot or a pot that is too big. So mm-hmm. my first thing is, you know, get it back at a nursery pot, you know, accommodate the root size, you know, no more than two inches either in any direction. And I definitely recommend bottom watering to them, you know, just setting the nursery pot into a decorative pot. That is like a huge plant killer if you if you don't know how to water correctly with a ceramic pot and I, I still don't think I, do, I know how to do that my mom is great at it but I cannot <laughs> it's just it's impossible for me so I think you know figuring out what is going to work for them because you read with each person it varies from my plant shop to my house I try to give it I give give advice the best I can but then I'm also like you kind of need to figure out your own thing And, you know, this is how I do it.
0: We're going to take a quick break from our interview with Marissa for some sponsored messages. And when we come back, we will finish up the interview with her. There is so much good stuff that we still have yet to talk about. So stay tuned. If you're looking for another great podcast to listen to, I want to introduce you to the Quest for New Inspiration podcast. It's put on by Katie Mashler, and she's the founder of New Inspiration Media and the host of the Quest for New Inspiration podcast. Her podcast is self-produced, much like mine is, and she interviews all types of people about their own encouraging personal stories. And she does this in hopes that as you listen you will be inspired as well from these people that are sharing their stories from all walks of life. It is such a delight to listen to. I've listened to a few episodes, and I can attest that they are inspiring. So if you need a podcast, To give you inspirational advice to boost your mood, I definitely recommend tuning in to the Quest for New Inspiration podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, or on her website, newinspirationpodcast.com. And as far as like a soil medium, do you use like your own soil mix? Do you use moss? What what do you use for your rare plants?
1: I am constantly testing and trying new things. I have gone through a lot of um, different mixes, different soils, different things. I gotta say, I really, really, really like cocoa coir and cocoa chunks, just like more of a soilless medium. I've found them to be less prone to pests. It's a lot airier. It almost like stimulates healthier root root growth because there is so much air for the types of plants that I grow, um, which are mainly aeroids. I mean, even my common plants that I buy from greenhouses, those come in soil, but those are mostly aeroids as well. They're a little bit tougher so they can handle soil, but for things that I personally grow, I really like cocoa. Yeah. It's great stuff. Yeah. I, so
0: I haven't gotten into rare plants yet. I feel like I'm on the cusp. I have like all the common ones and I'm like, do I, do I not? It might be addicting. But this is good to know that if I do probably get coconut core and watch out for those pests. But I think what scares me is the fact that it might die and it's worth a lot of money, more so than like my $15 fern that I got at
1: Smith's. You know what I mean? Yes, totally. I do. It was really hard for me to get into the rare plants. I actually was at a plant shop here in Salt Lake City, and I was with a plant friend that I met at that first plant swap that I ever did that I told you about that got me into that whole world. And they had this was like I think it was 2000. It was either 2018 or no, yeah, it was late 2018. They had Monstera Thai Constellation, which I'm sure you've heard of.
0: (laughs) Oh yes, I've seen them Um, for sale. Is it Costa Farms for like $600?
1: Yeah. And th- that was actually, that's like a whole thing right now, but that yeah. was actually a really good price for those, that size of plant. But yeah, that was, that's like a whole drama going on right now. But there was like a four leaf one and it was, you don't see these types of plants at shops. So it was um, like a recent import that they had done. And it was just kind of like a like a one-off thing. And so I was with my friend and she was getting one and I was so torn. I think it was only like 125 bucks, which is so cheap for that plant now. But I had never spent more than 20 bucks on a plant at that time. So I was like, I don't, I don't think I should. And she was like, trust me, get this plant. You're going to love it so much. She had to convince me. She really did. And then I got it and I loved it so much. I kept it alive and it did great for me. And so that just kind of opened the floodgates of rare plant keeping. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. See, that's what I'm worried about. I'm gonna get one, and <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I
1: know it's but... it's. You're so right when you say it's addicting because it's it's almost like when you're playing a video game and you're like leveling up, mm-hmm. and you know it, you get you beat a harder level and it's really exciting, you know. So you want to try the next level. It's the same thing with plants because. You're really proud of yourself when you can get that that tough plant to grow. You know, it's it's rewarding.
0: Yeah. So having a plant shop, what are like the most common, uh, I guess they're not very common, but like what rare plants right now are really popular and like which ones sell fast?
1: And that's that's tough. Well, any type of variegated Monstera, you know, albos, ties, arias, those are for sure flying off the shelves i i i don't really have another one that i just say like the name of because there isn't really one that i can think like pink princess and stuff anything with variegation is Mm. is gonna fly off the shelves they're just really fun you know because they're it's so random you don't know what the next leaf is gonna look like that's one of my favorite things about um you know philodendron brazil i love that that plant it's so common but it's so pretty because every leaf is so different it's it's the same concept
0: yeah. So with those monsteras, the variegated ones, are those coming from your mother plant? Or-
1: I grow everything from mother plants here. I used to import, acclimate, and resell, but then COVID happened and it was not feasible anymore. I just, I couldn't, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> Is it because of shipping prices or? It's just because of the plant boom. The shipping prices haven't really changed much. Although the shipping times have, which makes, you know, chances of the plants actually surviving the import process much lower. I actually did an import to get the stock plants going. It was in transit for over a month. It was. Did it it make it? About half the plants made it. And, you know, luckily, because I've been doing I've been importing for so long, I have a good um, system for them when they come. (laughs) <laughs> I think it sounds like it's people. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, if someone, if that was their first order, they probably would have all died. They look really rough. I actually just checked on them yesterday. It's been, I think it's been three, four months now that I have had them mm-hmm. and they're looking so rough. Normally by, you know, by now they're all pretty much ready to sell. If I were to, you know, just turn around and resell them, but no, they just, they're just nowhere near it. So You know, you never know with that. So no, I definitely don't import and resell anymore. Yes, I just grow from all my stock plants. And occasionally I will buy from other growers in the United States or locally. There's another local guy. He grows a lot of the plants that I do, but he sometimes has more of certain ones than I do. So I'll buy from him just depending. But mostly, yes, they get grown here.
0: Gotcha. So how many stock plants do you have going that you can be taking
1: cuttings from? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that number just dramatically decreased um, due to a bout of thrips in that greenhouse. Um, no. I know, I know. Um, I, I was able to at least save pieces and parts and stuff, but you know, it happens. <laughs> it happens with yeah. someone that's been through it. You know, things happen. But I would say I probably have, oh man, seven, 800.
0: Whoa. I was not expecting that big of a number. That's
1: really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a pretty big greenhouse upstairs. I mean, it's, I don't know the exact square footage, but yeah, it's pretty big. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Well, I guess it makes sense. If you have a whole shop going, you would need that many plants to be able to keep up with inventory.
1: 100 percent 100 percent and last year I decided I wanted to start growing because I also sell on Etsy but I just sell my common plants on Etsy and then I sell my rare plants locally and I decided last year that I wanted to expand that's why I got the shop and start growing rare plants for Etsy Mm -hmm. Um, so I had to really stock up on mother plants like most of them are from me just growing collecting whatever but then I had to get you know duplicate plants that have really good variegation, you know, just, I just had to beef up my mother plant for sure.
0: So So what's your reasoning for not wanting to sell your rare plants on Etsy?
1: So mainly it's because, um, you know, inventory restrictions, I don't have enough to go around and I prefer to sell them locally than online. I can most of the time get more money online. But I, I really love our plant community here. And I love just being able to provide healthy, rare plants to our community. I mean, I really do. It's it's really fun for me. So
0: yeah, well, so the way like I found you, and you know this, but to our listeners, I asked on a plant Facebook group and there were like five or six people that mentioned you. I was like, I just need like a friendly plant store owner that you think would be down to do this. And so many people mentioned you. I was like, It's kind of fun that, like, you know, so many people in this like local plant community, they all seem to love you. And I think that's a really cool way to connect them with rare plants is just having this local store.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's why I have the storefront part of it. It's been really fun. I mean, I've, I've been in the local plant community for, I think, I think it's been four years now. I mean, I do a lot of events, like I I host a lot of plant swaps and, you know, Christmas events and stuff. It's just really, really fun. It's, it's more than just selling plants for me. You know, it first started with plant friends. And then, um, you know, people that I would share cuttings with sell cuttings to. So it's just kind of grown in both ways. And it's really funny, because I feel like this plant shop is like our group plant shop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, it's just like everyone has watched this turn into what it is. People that knew me before I ever had a rare plant in those plant groups, I'm working from that other nursery and stuff. I feel like there's been so many people on this journey with me. It's been really, really fun.
0: That's so cool. Okay, last question. So for someone like me, who has not gotten into rare plants yet, what would you suggest what like rare plant should I start with to kind of like boost my confidence? I probably won't kill it. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's your suggestion on? Cause I know you have a lot of wisdom on this kind of stuff.
1: Oh man, definitely a philodendron. 100% a philodendron. You can't really go wrong with most philodendrons actually. They're very similar in care to like, you know, your are philodendron. So that's great.
0: And what are some of the rare philodendrons? You mentioned pink princess, but I don't know if I know any of the other ones.
1: I mean, there are thousands. (laughs) There are thousands. (laughs) All right. um, Off the top of my head, philodendron varicosum. That one's a really pretty one. And it is a good one to start with if you like to water. They like a lot of water and stuff. But the downfall of them is, you know, they can be pest prone or their leaves are very sensitive so that they, sh- they show them the signs of pests much easier than others. But varicocin is probably one of the staples. There are certain ones like, like their leaves get stuck if they don't have the humidity or the correct watering. So like pink princess is one of them. So do I recommend to start with a pink princess? No, because of that. Um, although you probably won't kill it, it just might not be the prettiest thing for you. So I'm trying to <laughs> think of ones that don't get their leaves stuck or are easiest. Okay, I just came up with a few. Philodendron um, okay. Florida Ghost. That one is so fun. The leaves come in white and then they fade down to a minty green. They eventually, yeah, then they eventually fade down to a green. They're, they're very easy care. They're not too picky on humidity. Love those, and they're also not too pricey either. Those have come down quite a bit. You can get a cutting for like 20 bucks, but you can get a, a good a good plant for anywhere from 50 to 70 bucks, which isn't horrible. Fill it in Ring of Fire, that's another really fun one that's pretty easy. That one's variegated, so it has all kinds of fun patterns. And those are being tissue cultured, so they should be available here and there. At, plant, at regular plant shops, as well as, you know, a rare plant shop too. So that's kind of exciting.
0: Yeah. I'm going to write those down and look them up because that sounds like a price range I could handle too and not like yes. feel yes. so guilty
1: about it. Yeah. Those are definitely good ones just because they're easy to grow. And also the price point isn't too, too high.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. And so Last thing, if we want to find out more about your shop and like follow along with you, where can we find you? What are your social media handles?
1: Instagram is hello underscore foliage. Honestly, I'm not the best at social media, keeping up with it, all of that. But I do try to post on there as much as I can. And then I um, have a Facebook business page. It's just hello foliage. My website is hellofoliage.com. dot com.
0: Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, for sharing all this wisdom about, you know, owning a rare plant shop, how to take care of them. And I really appreciate you being
1: on. Thank you. I appreciate you having me.
0: And that concludes my interview with Marissa Merriman of Hello Foliage. I had such a fun time talking with her. And one thing before I close up this episode that I wanted to mention, we were talking off air about this after the interview, that owning a rare plant and being a part of this plant community really is not something that should be scary. It's something anyone can do. There's so much support in it. There's a community around it that is so willing to help you and it doesn't need to be this big unknown thing and you don't have to feel like rare plants are super hard to take care of and it's only for people who are super into plants. It's accessible. It's fun and it really leads to a lot of friends. I feel like you could really see that with Marissa and how her plant shop came about. So if you're interested in owning a rare plant, maybe you can join me in getting the philodendron Florida Ghost or the philodendron Ring of Fire. You know, those are some of the ones that she suggested as being easy ones. And maybe you could join with me in getting those and we can go down this rare plant journey together if that's something that's new for you like it is for me. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed today's interview and I hope that you have a great week. Thank you for being here and listening today, and I hope you'll join me next week. If you'd like to support this podcast and keep it going, you can find the support link below in the description and donate. Or, I have some awesome Plant School merch, including stickers, shirts, and mugs, and the link to my shop is in the description as well. And if you don't want to spend any money but still support the podcast, share this podcast with a friend, either verbally or electronically. This will even qualify you for my giveaway. Just message me on Instagram at tinnyplant that you shared the podcast with a friend, and you'll be entered in for a chance to win some goodies. Winners will be announced on the podcast. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great week.